Thank you. Good morning, all. Turn to Psalm 65 and verse 4. Psalm 65 and verse 4. For those of you maybe not familiar, we're doing a series called The Great Apostasy. Um, the scripture speaks of, of a time in the latter days when many people will fall away from the faith. And this is a series that's, that's really impacted me enormously. It's like Everson said to me a couple of weeks ago, it's not like other things we've done. He feels different. I certainly feel different. And I found myself compelled, if you like, to, you know, to make changes that I have not done before. It's kind of taken me a little bit by surprise, which is not good. I should have, I should have really been with this, you know. But I think everything waits for an appointed time. And I think today is the day. Now is the hour for this series really to come to its own. Psalm 65 and verse 4. Look at this. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. Now, is, is anybody here born again? I reckon just about everybody in this place is born again. Now, are all your family members born again? I already, sadly, I know the answer to that. Are all your neighbors born again? Are all your friends in your workplace born again? Oh, I see, right. So that means you are blessed are those that you have chosen to draw near to you. Wow. You know, I don't know, you see so many Christians that are screwed up and don't feel special. Well, I come from a big family and I'm sorry today to, be, to have to say I think only one of my sisters is in church this morning uh, and she's a Catholic in, in Ireland. But apart from that, I don't think any of the rest of the family are in church or know God. I look around my neighborhood where I live, they don't know God. Man, I'm chosen. I'm blessed. I'm different. That, that's special, isn't it? So are you. You're different. You've been chosen out of millions. Yesterday when we were on the streets just distributing the leaflets, you know, the, the, the torrent of people that pass you by and they don't know God. And there you are, you know, in the breeze, standing there. I need to remember to say, thank you, God. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Especially now in these closing moments of time. I've been overwhelmed by the response that we've had over the last few weeks to these seven or eight messages, whatever it is. And the most predominant question that people have asked me is this. What do I do now? What do I do now? I need to reconsider my life. I mean, after what I now see, there has to be a reconstruction of my life. I need to go back home and, and, and think and pray about the days and the hours in which I find myself to live. Here I am, and I, I can't avoid this. What do we do now? Well, I've been thinking about that for, for several weeks, and I've come to the conclusion that and today I want to be very personal. I'm going to share with you what Jeanette and I are doing. And I will leave that with you to, to decide what you're going to do. But we are going to rededicate our lives to God. Now, that might sound funny, but I think there's a great need for that because I've been saved quite a while, 20 odd years, and you, you can drift. It's just like any relationship, like a marriage you can drift. And I need to think about how I am relating to God. How am I behaving towards God? How's my respect for Him? How is my fear of the Lord? Have any of those things cooled down? And I want to make a very cold assessment of myself, of my behavior, of my attitudes, and really, you know, start again, as it were, begin again, become a begin-again Christian as well as a born-again Christian. And those of you who have been in this church a while will know that I use these three words very often, but some of you are, 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 haven't been here too long. Dogma, doctrine, and practice. And because we come from many different parts of the world, there's something that I'm very conscious of because I travel so much. And it's this. Doctrines differ around the world. And that's okay. 
and you keep on meeting people from, say, America. For example, in America, they have a very good doctrine of honor. They honor one another. The best place I've ever seen on the earth for that. But they're not good on other things. They have weaknesses in doctrines and understandings as well. I, if you go to Africa, you'll find that that continent has certain strengths as well as certain weaknesses. Where the country I work for, Singapore and Asia generally, very good on church planting, very good on discipleship and giving, but very poor on end times. Very little understanding in end times. And when I go, I find myself absolutely shocked at the dearth of understanding or the confusion. A type of confusion you just don't get within Europe. Maybe because we're in the bullseye of some of the stuff that's coming up. I say that because we're an international church. And I don't want any one continent or people group to think that they've got all the answers. Because you haven't. That's not the way the kingdom is. That's not the way God has built the world or even the doctrines in the world. We will only really grow when we start to appreciate that fact and glean from what other continents and other peoples know and understand. Can you say amen there? Amen. Right? Very important for us in the last days as the international churches begin, to, and they are the fastest growing churches in the world, but this is a major stumbling block for the creation of those churches, and it's something I'm very passionate about. A few weeks ago, we did a marriage day, if you remember. It was excellent. Amen? Amen. Fantastic day. I, I, I was thrilled with it. And I was just thinking this week, it's a very good parallel for my relationship with God. Those of you who were there, you will remember Stephen Anderson. He isolated these four points as points that we should reconsider as we rededicate our lives to one another. If you remember at the end of the day, what happened? All the couples went around the room. I think that's one of the most beautiful moments I've seen in Glasgow. It was absolutely excellent. All the couples went around the room and what did they do? They rededicated. They had to hold each other's hands and they had to say, I love you. And it was all so romantic. It was great. Really, really good day. But these were the issues that Stephen brought out that will stand in the way of us doing that. And hey, it's not much different with God, right? Unresolved issues within a marriage are going to eventually see people drift apart. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. It's no different with God. If we stop repenting, if we forget to say sorry in a marriage, that's going to lead to bitternesses and confusions, relationship difficulties. It's no different within a marriage. And wow. Forgetting to say thank you, so common, because we can take each other for granted, right? Especially when you live with someone, you can just take them for granted and forget to stop and say thank you and express your love, of course. I thought that is a very good starting place for us today. As, as uh, over the last month or more, I've been thinking, Lord, I want to be able to rededicate my own life with you properly. And then I want to be able to help other people do exactly the same thing. Turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. Matthew's Gospel, 26, verse 33. This just came to me this week, just as a reminder of why we need to do this. Peter was talking to Jesus. And Peter thought that he was invincible, you know? Superman. I don't think so. And Peter replies to Jesus, even if everybody falls away, the apostasy, even if everybody falls away on account of you, I never will. And that's why I need to rededicate myself, my life, because I've suddenly become aware of the last days and the enormous warning that Scripture gives me about standing in these days. I thank God I don't think like Peter, right? I think more like Paul. Paul knew that he was, you know, in dangers. Peter didn't, and he had to learn the hard way. But I challenge all of you, you know, when a person thinks they're strong, they are very weak. And when a Christian understands that they're weak, they are strong. When you think you're wise, you're foolish. So don't get tied up in those things and understand that every single person in this church 
and in all of our churches around the globe need to be very careful in these days. Many of you will also remember this list. The stages of love that a person goes through. Many years ago, I was disappointed with my own growth as a Christian and I was in the park, I was walking and, and I was crying out to God that I would grow and I would mature. And that was a good day for me because I felt like Jesus came and walked along with me and told me, go home and study the life of Peter and in there you will find the answer to your own growth. And that's exactly what I did. And I found these four stages of love within or growth in love within the Apostle Peter that he had first love, which is responsiveness, eagerness, willingness, keenness. But it didn't stay that way, did it? Even if everyone leaves you, I will never. Ah, wrong, Peter. That's exactly what you did do. But then we see in Pentecost that Peter came to a growing love, right? And ultimately, we know that Peter was crucified. I don't want... First love is very important. We never leave it. It should remain within us, within our marriages and our relationship with God. But the other stages of love must be added. Are you with me? I must see myself growing through those different stages. And that's what I want to look at today. So if you turn to Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5. So I cried out to God, would you help me to get established in the last days? Teach me what people should do in order to stand through the apostasy that's happening and indeed will increase. And this is one of the scriptures that I believe God has led me to. Look at this. This is to the church in Ephesus. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. I just stop there. Repent and do the things that you did at first. Don't answer my questions, but I want you to think. And I want you to think very seriously and very deeply. That's what I've been doing. What did I do at first? This church that he's writing to here is under great persecution. They're being thrown to the lions, etc. And many people are frightened and they're starting to run away. They don't want to go to church, as it were. Last week, last Sunday afternoon in this place, we had 110 Pakistanis. And Pastor Ajay Gul was here. And he was preaching here. And that was a real good day because you may have seen him on CNN. His mother was just blown to pieces in Pakistan in a church. And eight others of his family were blown up in the bomb two weeks ago. And so he flew back after burying his family and he came here and the church was full. Full of people who, are, who know what it's like to be tempted to not go to church. Now the families are thinking, should I go to church? Maybe I won't. If I go, is there going to be a bomb? And then I suddenly really understood why the Pakistanis really have leapfrogged the other congregations in terms of understanding this stuff. Because of course they're on the phone to their mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, and their father saying, I'm going to church this morning. Well, that's a decision that could mean life and death. You see? And it was a very somber day in here, and they ended up with a meal downstairs last Sunday afternoon. But how are we going to stand strong? Jesus speaks to a church here in Ephesus, which is also being persecuted. And he gives them a clue. He gives them a hint. He says this, repent, that means to change your mind, to turn around, and do the things that you did when you first got saved. Now, I want you to think about yourself. What did you do when you first got saved? What was your behavior like? What were your attitudes like? And think back and then assess yourself about how things have changed. Now, for me, I can tell you that one of the, 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 the outstanding things about when I got saved was that nothing on earth was going to stop me getting saved. I knew that salvation was true. I knew that I was not born again. And I intended to be born again at any cost. And now I need to ask myself, is that still the same? 
Am I as radical when it comes to staying saved? Are you with me? Am I as ruthless when it comes to remaining born again? Or has something been weakened there? So many text messages from you guys and many from overseas and around the world from people following the podcast online. It's actually Mark Rogers here. He's following the series online and he got frightened. He's a great guy. Um, he got up out of his seat and he was just going to go and, and, and call me actually. And God spoke to him as soon as he stood up. Sit down. And brought him to the scriptures and told him that he would be with him all through the rest of his days. Praise God. Amen. Here's a family and they don't know what to do. They understand that it's the last days, but they're in a church. I've had a few families. They're in a church that doesn't know anything about end times. They're not teaching end times. There's no awareness of it. They're just religious going through the weekly stuff. And they've gone to their pastor and said, you know, talked about the sons of Issachar and how we need to be, you know, edified and educating our people in these things. But the pastor didn't know anything about it and didn't want to know. So they're saying, what do we do? Find another church. Not a game. You need to find another church. You need to find a, a prophetically aware church. Hello. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Protect yourself. Guard yourself. Here's an email. Oh, God, help us. I've had several from this one individual this week who's followed the series from the beginning. Was sleeping with someone. Were born again. And started listening to the messages. And then realized, as they say here, <laughs> I now realize if the rapture happened tomorrow, I would be left behind. And I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn from what I'm doing. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Amen. 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 Scary stuff. No, many of you, good stuff. But yes, scary stuff. People realizing that maybe the way they behaved 20 years ago when they first came to Christ, has deteriorated. It's not as good as it used to be, or they're not as committed as they used to be. So I just ask you to think about that. That's what we've been doing. And I've been looking back on my life, and I would say the first thing that stands out is that nothing but nothing on this earth was going to stop me getting saved. Nothing. I knew my family would reject that. It doesn't matter. I knew I'd have to leave my career. I don't care. It didn't matter. I was a girl living with, with me at that time. She's got to go. I don't care. Right? No matter what it takes, I'm going to get saved. Now, <laughs> have I still got the same attitude? Have I still got the same attitude to overcoming in these last... Have you? I want you to ask yourself that question. Because that, to me is foremost on my list. You need to make your own list. Secondly, praying, fasting, studying the Bible, listening to God were everyday occurrences. It was not a prayer meeting. It was a way of life, right? And that fresh, you know, first love, there's nothing quite like it in some ways, but it needs to continue. And I ask you to think back over your life the intensity of your Bible study, the intensity of your prayer life, and then make an assessment on where that's at today. And I would encourage you folks, in your prayer time, don't do all the talking. A relationship in which one person does all the talking, <laughs> there's a few of them around, isn't there? <laughs> Is that a healthy relationship? Terribly unhealthy relationship. One person can't do all the talking. So when you go in to pray, not just about, oh God, I need this and do this and do that. Amen? Amen. Sit still. Be quiet. Wait on the Lord. Wait on Him. Listen. Listen. And you'll glean more in that moment of waiting and silence than you could ever dream of. Right? Where is that at? Are you still listening? Do you know couples... After living together for five years, that husband can walk into that house and not listen to one word that woman says. <laughs> Correct? It's true. Oh, she's talking. But he just, something happened along the way. 
and he's no longer listening and vice versa. Vice versa. Just not listening anymore. I don't want to get like that, especially today. So you reassess yourself. Think of yourself at the moment. How's the Bible study? How's the prayer life? How's the fasting? How's the listening and the hearing? And thirdly, and probably it could be number one, I guess, repentance is incredibly quick in young believers, in, in, in new believers. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 6 gives us a great piece of advice here. Proverbs 6, verse 6. This is the wisest man who ever lived. And he says to me and to you, in terms of growing our Christian lives, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider nature. Consider the animal life and the plant life, and you will learn something by doing so. When I first got saved, like most of you, repentance was incredibly fast. You would do something wrong and you would be convicted on the spot, right? But Scripture talks about our conscience and how that can be dulled over time, seared as with a hot iron, and all of a sudden we're not as responsive. We don't respond to God as quickly as we should do. And in fact, I think this is an incredibly good assessment or a very good way of assessing the, how spirit-filled a person is, how close to God they are, is the actual speed of their response. Now, let me just be very personal because that's what I want to do today. We've had a very intense, information-heavy six weeks, and I'm not going to give you information today, okay? I want to stop the bus a moment and consider what we're doing, what we're going to do in our lives, where, where it's going to take us, the changes that we need to make. 2 Samuel, please, look at this. 2 Samuel, chapter 3, verse 39. So when I first got saved, I tell you, nothing but nothing would stand in my way. I would do anything, give anything, etc., etc. But I tell you what happens, folks. You get tired. You get tired of the fight. You get tired of the battle. And that's a time of danger. Look at this. This is the king of Israel, David. 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 39. And today, though I am the anointed king, what does it say? I'm weak. I'm weak. I'm tired. Today, I didn't ask to be king. I was born into this. Today, even though I'm the king, I feel weak. I feel tired. What a scripture. What an insight into the mind and the life of David. You can see him as a superhero. But of course, David was a man like any other man. And here he is. He's facing great responsibilities. And he knows the problems he's facing. And he's actually very wise. He gathers the people around him to stand with him, to fight with him, to pray with him. Amen. Amen. You see, folks, you may be the only Christian in your family. But you could be weak. (laughs) You may be the only Christian in your neighborhood. But you could be weak. And David has had great persecutions. He's had suffering in his life. Everybody look up, all eyes forward. All eyes forward, phones off. Look at me, serious stuff here. I have come to understand that suffering, when I suffer, when I'm hurting, I'm in danger. I need to be very careful when I suffer because that, that if, I'm, if I don't handle that right, that becomes a time of great danger for me. David was weak. He was tired from the battle, but man, was he wise. He was very, very wise. Take a look at this list. These are some of the pastors I work with. They're some of my closest friends for many years. Me, Daniel in Romania. Alan Das, my friend in Singapore, Shane Comiskey, Jimmy Dunn, Jason, John Verhoff, overseas Australasia, Rick Seward, I could go on and on and on. Tell you what, (laughs) I'm in danger. I get weak and then I get vulnerable. And then like Peter, I can fall away whenever suffering starts. So five years ago, my wife here gets diagnosed with a brain disease, and that's a big ow for me. I'm suffering. Suffering here. And then 
The devil plays mind games. So I start to say, hey God, what are you picking on me for? What about all the other guys, huh? Why am I the only one that has to suffer around here? Why, why me? Oh, sorry, sorry. Not just me, I forgot. Daniel woke up one morning and his wife was dead in bed. Ah, she was 34. She was the love of his life. Sorry, I forgot about Daniel. So, so then, Lord, why is it just me and Daniel, huh? What's the problem? Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Alan's wife died. Alan Das's wife died a few years back. Forgot about that. So, Lord, just me. I'm the only one that's suffering. Do you know what? I don't think I'll fight then. I think I'll give up the fight. There's only me and Daniel and of course. Oh, sorry. Shane's wife got cancer. Susan. Forgot about that. What about that? Remember? Some of you know Susan. Cancer in the throat. Oh, Jimmy's got prostate cancer. Sorry. Oh, Jason's wife died. B-Ling from Singapore. I forgot all about that. I thought, I thought it was just me. But it is just... Oh, John Verhoff. His wife's just had a double mastectomy. Ah. Oh, so it wasn't just me. I thought it was just me. I thought I was the only one that's suffering. And then, do you know, do you know the problem? When you think that you're the only one, you're deceived. Every person in this room has got problems. Amen. There are no exceptions. And when people feel that they're suffering unduly right, or unfairly, what they do is they stop fighting. They give up. And David said, Lord, today you have appointed me and all these men of different positions. And when my wife got her letter from the doctors, I, sent, I forwarded that to, to actually two of these guys, to Shane and to Rick, you know. I said, here you go, guys. Well, of course, they've already been down this road. They're further down than me. And the reply that came back was not the reply I expected. What do you think the reply said? <laughs> More work! <laughs> More work! Join the club, brother. That's what the, 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 the reply said. Welcome to... Service is going to begin then, Michael. I mean real service. I mean real service. Welcome to the real world. But I'm not deluded by this stuff, but I, I certainly understand the great dangers of thinking of myself as some sort of victim because a victim mentality will kill you. It will absolutely kill you. There's no place for that. Everybody's got difficulties. Everybody in this room have got their own particular circumstances. And don't give up the fight for these reasons. I tell you, it's a... I mean, let me show you. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, and I'll read verses 1 to 3. Verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not what? Fall away. He's talking to Christians here. When you uncap this thing, folks, it's everywhere. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, that we do not drift away. For since the, me the message spoken through the angels was binding and every violation of disobedience received its just punishment, how shall you escape, that's we escape, if we neglect, is the word, neglect such a great salvation. Now, it's a wonderful context here. Just look up a moment. The writer to the Hebrews here says that we need to be careful about neglecting our salvation, right? Be careful. Because you will not escape. And if you read the context of both the book of Hebrews and the book of Jude, I, I took some time out this week and I just devoted myself to the book of Jude. And man, you know, these things just, you, you, you think you know the story, but you don't. You start reading and I think, gosh, this whole thing was a warning. Look at this guy. This is the armor of God. The full armor of God. Not going to mess with him, are you? Right? This is so strong, such a strong shell. These guys live on the bottom of the sea. And because of that, the, all the force and the weight of the water comes down upon them. And they get peppered all day, every day, by little microscopic cells pounding their shell from the day they're born. 
And what that does in them is it creates a great armor, a great strength. Okay? Now, you know crabs, you know what they're like. They're, 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 they're um, ne next slide, please. Strong, in, but look at this. What's that? That's a hermit crab. It's a hermit crab. That's a crab that doesn't want to fight. All right? They're the most unhealthy of all crabs. It hides under rocks. It doesn't want to endure the battle. And what it does is when it sneaks out, it grabs somebody else's shell, skulls into somebody else's shell. But actually, these crabs, the hermit crabs, their legs fall off. They've got no protection because of neglect, basically. And the book of Hebrews says, do not neglect, don't give up the fight. And what I saw this week was this. In the book of Jude, it's talking about rejecting Christ in the apostasy. But in the book of Hebrews, it's not talking about rejecting Christ. It's talking about giving up the fight. And that's, call it pre-apostasy. Pre-apostate behavior. And I find it, you know, all around me when I think about it. And in our lives too, like precancerous cells. Correct me if I'm wrong, Chintai, but um, precancerous cells doesn't mean you've got cancer, right? They're in your body. But it does mean a degree of attention should be applied. Fair enough? Pre-apostasy behavior. Many people will say, I will never reject Christ. But I might give up the fight, though. I just don't want to fight anymore. And that's what Hebrews is talking about. It's warning us about abstaining from the fight or stepping back from the fight, just like the hermit crab. We just read the wisest man who ever lived in Proverbs. And he says to you this, take a look at nature. Take a look at nature and you'll learn something about standing your ground and staying strong. The day that you say, you know, it's just too much pain now. It's just so much pain. I think I'll give up the fight. It's the day that you've taken a step in the wrong direction. Amen? Amen. You agree? I think so. Next slide, please. Look at this guy. Who's this? <laughs> yeah. That's a sad sight, man. That's a cave fish. And these guys used to live out in the open sea. And they had eyes once upon a time. But over the last thousands of years, I'm not talking about evolution here. I'm talking about devolution, different thing. They didn't like the light. Didn't like the sunlight. And so cave fish began to withdraw from the light. And they began, that's why they're called cave fish. They started to live in dark places. And then the places got darker and darker until today you can't find cave fish in the open sea. They live in dark places in caves. And in fact, if you dissect these eyes, it's no longer there. The eyes have devolved through lack of use. You know, use it. Or lose it. And this is a road. You see, some Christians, they don't like the church. Because the church is a place of light. It's a place of intense light. Or you can go to immature Christians, then there's no light. No problem. But a proper church will have intense light. And many people cannot stand that. And, you know, I was meeting with the pastors this week, and we were talking about um, <laughs> helping people not to backslide. But one of the warning signs, folks, is this. When a person sits at the back and they have one hand on their bag <laughs> and one hand on their coat and the pastor says, let's just have the last song and the coat is on and wait till that last note finishes, boom, straight through the door. Do you know what that is? I got to get out of the light. Get me out of the light as quickly as possible. That's an, it's a warning sign. Amen. Amen. It's a warning sign. And I was talking with the pastors this week. Shut your back door. It's shut already. <laughs> shut your back door. Because these are dangerous days. And if you see your members rushing away from fellowship 
and running to the world because they can only find peace in the world. That something's wrong. This needs to be the place we run to. This needs to be the place that we don't want to leave. Because we know that there's security. As David, David said, I have, even though I'm the king, I know I'm weak. But I know this. I will stay in the fellowship of the believers. Remember? And he sustained himself. A man after God's own heart. So I warn you folks. What we're talking about here is pre-apostate behavior. We're not talking about rejecting Christ. We're talking about giving up the fight. And a person who gives up the fight is one step away from rejecting Christ. Believe me. I tell you what, Jesus, even if they all leave you, I never will. But what Peter didn't realize is he would stand around that fire and he just couldn't face the fight. Couldn't face the pressure. And he succumbed. And we're crazy if we think differently. So where are you with these things? I want you to do a self-assessment today. Number four, when I got saved, my, my, my giving, my financial giving was absolutely abundant. I thank God that over the years that has been consistent. And in fact, Jeanette, today we give more than we've ever given. Okay, and our graph on that one goes up and only up, thank God. But I ask you, where are you with your giving, giving, financial giving is a very good thermometer of where people's lives are at, where their hearts are at with God. Where are you at with that one? Good. I tell you what, folks, we as a church need money, I can tell you that. <laughs> we really need funds. We've just finished paying for Alex. Uh, I've got many, many, many bills. So please give abundantly because it's used incredibly well. In fact, I think a lot of the hassle we've had for the last six months or a year has been about Alex. That's what it's about because we're going to open up a new stream of churches, house churches across Russia. Amen? So these are my points. This is very personal. I don't know what yours would be. I want you to think about it. What were you like when you first got saved? How was your passion for Jesus? What sort of things did you do? Number five, personal evangelism for me was a way of life. Now, when you came in this morning, I hope there was a tract sitting on your seat. You're probably sitting on it. When I got saved, I, I, I was in a good church, but they didn't do any evangelism uh, as such. In fact, I don't think they did anything at all. And I was just born again. So I began to research to find a leaflet, if I could find a leaflet, that I could give out. And I was working for, after I got saved, I worked for about nine months after that. And I found one, that one, the one you've got, called Turn. It's the same leaflet, a little bit modernized, but it's exactly the same leaflet from the same people. And I'm not saying this to look good. I'm saying by way of testimony, so you get the picture. I began to spend enormous amounts of my wages every month on those leaflets. And I, when my payday would come, I would send off for like thousands and thousands and thousands. And one day... They used to come by courier, like just in the post. But one day, they, they, it was an evangelist group who used to send them out. And one day, the guy turned up. I used to have them delivered to my workplace. He decided he was going to come himself because he wanted to know who, who is ordering this many leaflets. What, what is this? So he turns up and he said, are you Mike McKee? That's right. What is this? You guys are ordering so thousands and thousands of leaves. Which church is it? I said, it's not a church. It, no, 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 I mean, which church is distributing these? <laughs> no church. Me. You? Just you. Just me. Because I just got saved. Repent and do what you did at first. And Jesus is talking to a church that's going into persecution. And he says to them, I tell you what, just think back. What did you do when you first got saved? Well, folks, that's what I did. Now, I didn't plan this. I really didn't plan this. But this week, those boxes used to come to my workplace. And this week, Friday afternoon, guess what came to my house? 
I didn't plan it. Those leaflets there. God, that was such so ironic. I was writing this message on Friday afternoon. Oh, um, repent and do the things that you did when you first got saved. Hallelujah. Go back. Remember what you used to do and then do those things again. And Jesus is telling the Ephesian church this because there's persecution coming up. They're just about to face persecution and he wants to make them secure, stable, strong. Remember, we get strength from the battle, right? Not for the battle. There's a little memory verse for you. We get strength from the battle, K-Fish. We get strength from the battle, Hermit Crab. Not for the battle. You can't hide under the rock and then say, I'll be safe when I go out. You'll be devoured when you go out. We get strength from the battle. We get strength from the battle. Not for the battle. We're all in this together. We've all got to stick at it and become wise, biblically wise, about the pressures, the deceptions that can lead and are leading so many astray. So what did you do when you first got saved? Make an assessment of that. Think about it. Revisit it. Number six, the love of Christian fellowship was a passion. And I shared on that earlier. Assess yourself on that. If I find myself having more in common with the world than I do with the church, that's a problem. That's a sign of pre-apostasy and something I need to be very careful of. Number seven, time alone with God was not negotiable. It was something that I was going to do no matter what it cost me, no matter what the, the price tag was. For me, I had to leave my career. That was my biggest sacrifice. And then I began to go away. Now, folks, just look up a moment. Paul says, if you judge yourself by each other, what does he say you are? <laughs> a fool. That's right. He says, anyone, any one of you who judges yourself by each other is a complete fool. So you can look around this room and think, I'm not as bad as him. I'm not as bad as her. As foolish, that is. Crazy. We should only compare ourselves to one. Who's that? Jesus Christ. So I was born again into a very good church and a good pastor. Good guy. But that was not sufficient for me. I, I tell you why. Because baptism in the Holy Spirit was not in that place. Good people. Great people. And I loved them dearly. We had an excellent time in that place. But I knew there was something missing here. There's power missing. And I intend to get that power. Now, I was a very shy, in some ways retarded individual. You may say, I still am, don't you dare. <laughs> a very, very, very shy, into myself, hermit type individual with no confidence and a pretty bad shape, to be honest. But I did believe in it. And so see this, this seventh point, time alone with God. I gave up my job and some people looked at me and thanked God they believed in me and began to support me. And I said to a small group, I am going to go away and I'm going to seek God for his power in my life. So I went away for one month every year, December, over Christmas. I used to stay in a place called Summerhouse Bay. It's a Christian retreat center. And I would fast, I would not speak to anyone, read my Bible, and I would wait. Now at this time, I couldn't work with anyone. I was too self-righteous and legalistic. I would judge all of you, right? Because I'm better than you. You know the story. It's full of self-righteousness, full of self-pity, full of legalism and judgmentalism. And I knew that I was a sick believer. This is one sick puppy. And so I went, not to men, because if I try to get help from these guys, I don't think I'm going to, I need to go to the source here. And I would sit on my own. I remember once up the Brecon Beacons, sitting in a tent, saying, God, I need help. I need to be set free from my judgmentalism. I need you to, to work with me. And he did. 
And it was the fifth year of one month away that I came back to my church and I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Wow. My God. It was all worth it. <laughs> and all I can say about that day was I went down on that floor without authority or confidence and I got up with it. I got up with both. And Jeanette, you were there. It was awesome. Because nothing was going to stand in the way of what? Seeking God, salvation. Seeking God. I was going to get into the presence of God. Now I challenge myself today. Has that changed? Am I still willing to make the same sacrifices? Do I still see the lack of power so much that I'm willing to pay the price? What about you? It can be tough, the Christian life. We're talking today about rededication. Some of you who have been here a while will know this. Years ago, I was asked to do a rededication of a couple. And I'd never done one. And I said to God, God, show me, speak to me. Show me what a rededication is. I don't understand it. And I had a vision. And this was the vision. I saw a man and a woman. The woman is the one with the dress on, you see. And they were standing on either side of a great ravine. And the man wanted to marry the woman. So the man, she had a load of bricks on her side, but he didn't have any. So she said to the, the, the man said to the woman, pass me a brick and I'll build a bridge and you and I can get married and everything will be hunky-dory. So the woman passes the brick, but she drops it. So he says, stupid woman. Sorry, you know what I mean. <laughs> Pass me another one. So she passes him, but she drops that as well. Oh, come on, woman. Give me another brick. But the woman just can't seem to get it right. And the man thinks, oh, is this ever, are we ever going to get together? And he has this perfect picture in his mind but of course the end result is they come together not because they're both perfect and their relationship is not built on perfection it's actually built on reality this is reality and I want you to know folks today as you reach out to God and maybe you drop it and you repeatedly drop it it doesn't mean that you're not getting anywhere because as long as you keep on fighting, you're actually going to find yourself exactly where you thought you would. It's about the fight. It's about not giving up. And provided you don't give up, you can end up, this is an example, but back in the arms of Christ in the way that you should be. We all have fights, folks. Every single one in this room. And just this week, Here's my fight. Okay. Do you know what, devil? I tell you what, devil. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Satan. Me the only one? I'm not the only one. Crazy thinking. How dare you try and deceive me? We're all suffering. We're all fighting. And I thank God that I'm surrounded by brothers who didn't give up. Amen. Do you know what I'll do? I'll join the army. I'll do what David said. And I'll say, God, today, though I'm weak, I am the husband of my home. Amen. Though I'm weak, I am the leader wherever I find myself. And I will not try and hide from the battle like the crab. Instead, I will go out and I will end up with the full armor of God. So repent and do whatever you did. Have the video, Stefan. Re repent and do whatever you did at first. For every one of us in this room, that is going to be a different story. And that's absolutely fine. I want you to watch this.
get the picture. When did you get saved? Think back. And think back to what it meant to you at that point. And I pray that God takes your whole being back to that moment of appreciation, dedication, and sacrifice. Just bow your heads one moment. Hallelujah. God, how will we survive if we neglect such a great, great salvation? And today we want to rededicate and begin to amass our lives before you in thanksgiving for all that you've been to us and all that you will be to us. Thank you, Jesus. Unresolved issues, number one, in what damages relationships. And I ask you to make a commitment today to put right any unresolved issue, any outstanding thing between you and any other person. The second one was saying sorry, both to God and people, and saying thank you, and then expressing your love to God for all that he's done. I want to invite you to do that personally right here, right now, to begin a process like that son began, a process of return to the arms of your father. And in his embrace, you are safe, you are protected, and you can be truly strong. Come Holy Spirit, I pray you will melt every resistance and open every heart in this place. Father, I pray for these pre-apostate things that we have seen, that you will make us wise, 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 wise in these days. Come, Holy Ghost.